So the reading today comes from James chapter 3, verses 18, 13 to 18. And you can find that on page uh, 1218 in your Bibles. The heading in my Bible is two kinds of wisdom. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But in but that but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Thanks, Nathan. Jack's just asked me to throw in another reading, which he's going to refer to, um, to help us uh, think through wisdom. So if you want to turn to the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers, chapter 12, uh, this might be an example of uh, good or bad wisdom, we'll find out. But let's have a look as Miriam and Aaron um, uh, engage with Moses, uh, the leader of um, Israel out of um, Egypt. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he'd married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days and the people did not move on till she was brought back. 
After that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Nathan. I'll uh, just get myself set up. Has anyone heard that really ancient, really, really wise proverb that Amanda shared with us before? Knowledge is recognizing that a tomato is a fruit, and wisdom is not putting that tomato in a fruit salad. Such wisdom. So great. I, uh, I remember a time where one of my friends definitely chose to make that decision to put that tomato in with that fruit salad. Um, have you ever seen something and just thought, I really, I need that thing. I really want that thing. And to the exclusion of all else, you pursue this thing that you really want, this thing that you really desire without thinking of anything else around you. Uh, about six or seven years ago, I was down in Victor Harbour with my brother and a friend of ours. And we just popped into Port Elliot Bakery for some lunch. And while we were there, this is the thing that you do, right? If you're at Port Elliot and you don't go to the bakery there, you need to rethink your life decisions, all right? Go to that bakery, it's fantastic. Um, but <laughs> while we were there, my, my brother Sam, he decided that he wanted to get this, this delicious-looking custard tart that was kind of sitting in the, on the shelf there. And my friend just went for the modest approach of going for just a, just a plain donut that was just sitting there on the bench as well. And while we were standing outside, uh, Sam and our friend, they were, they were eating their respective pastries, but Sam was very obviously enjoying his custard tart a lot more than our friend was uh, enjoying his, his just option of, of that donut. You know that, that sound people make when they're really enjoying their food? Like, it's a really obvious kind of sound. Um, the sounds that were coming from Sam, like, you could float on these sound waves. He was really content with his custard tart. He was really enjoying it. Then Dave started to feel a little bit like he might like to be enjoying some of that custard tart as well. He was looking at Sam, seeing how much he was enjoying it. So he just thought, I just... I need that as well. So he looked at Sam and he asked very politely, Sam, would you like some of my donut? It's the classic line, right? You, you, you kind of, you try to throw people off from the true motive behind what you really want. And then the line kind of came afterwards. And, um, you know, maybe I could try some of your custard tart as well while you're enjoying my amazing donut. Well, um, Sam looked at, Dave, he looked at his custard tart and looked at the donut and just went, nah, and took another big bite of his custard tart. And then Dave looked at Sam, kind of like, and then he shoved the rest of his donut into his mouth and reached out and smacked the custard tart out of Sam's hand onto the ground and then ran in the other direction with Sam chasing him. Um, it was it was great to watch, but <laughs> Dave's decision probably isn't what I would have called wise. There's still tension in that relationship to this very day over that custard tart. Well, in James chapter 3, James teaches us about wisdom. He teaches us about practical wisdom and shares of two very different kinds of wisdom in those verses. As you can see in your outlines, there's some space for you uh, to fill out there what those two kinds of wisdom are if you're a note taker. Firstly, in the first line there, James talks about uh, earthly wisdom. Wisdom that is marked by envy, by selfish ambition, a wisdom that he calls unspiritual, a wisdom that he says is of the devil. And in the second line there, you can fill in heavenly wisdom. There's wisdom that is pure, that is peace-loving, considerate, submissive, that's full of mercy, good fruit, that's impartial and sincere. 
There's two kinds of wisdom that stand in very obvious contrast to one another in this passage. And when you read through it, it seems really obvious which kind of wisdom that we're meant to pursue, right? Yeah, James has written this in his letter for very good reason. Because where people are concerned, we have this great capacity uh, to want to love one another, to want to look after one another, but also this great capacity to harm. As we heard last week, even such a small thing as our tongue in our mouths is enough to tear down, is enough to divide, to harm, and to destroy. James exhorts the church toward true wisdom, wisdom that comes from God, wisdom that is seen for what it truly is in its actions, its practical wisdom. In Proverbs, uh, we learn what this true wisdom is, uh, and it's with this understanding of wisdom that we approach reading James, and that James writes this letter. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. I think it can pop up on the screen if this thing's working. Oh, thanks, Naomi. This understanding of wisdom. Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And then later on, if you click again, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But trusting in God, in who he is, in what he has to say, that is wisdom. And James helps us to see how this plays out in our lives, what practical wisdom looks like. So he begins in verse 13 with a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And standing in contrast in verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. It's two kinds of wisdom that we're looking at today. Two kinds of wisdom that I think are shown really clearly in the second Bible reading that we had today that Mike took us through. Numbers chapter 12. I read the first few verses again. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. So Moses was the leader of the Israelites at this time. He was God's chosen leader through whom God had led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and who God spoke to face to face as he instructed Moses on how uh, to lead the Israelites during that time. And as we read, Moses had a wife who wasn't an Israelite. And this was a pretty big deal in that time. So Moses' brother and sister Aaron and Miriam, well, they decide to bring this up as a point of contention about Moses' leadership. Here we see Aaron and Miriam themselves, who are also two leaders who are part of the Israelites, standing against Moses as God's chosen prophet, as his chosen leader of the Israelites. See, Aaron and Miriam are jealous of Moses. They have their own ambitions for what they want. See, notice the way that the chapter starts, though. They don't 
make this known to the Israelites when they speak against Moses. They don't get up the front and say, look, guys, listen, we're really jealous of Moses and who he is, so we'd like to kind of be doing what he's doing. They're not that obvious. Notice the way the the chapter starts. Instead, they begin speaking against Moses on grounds of his marriage to someone who's not an Israelite. So with their words, they seek to first undermine Moses so that they can manoeuvre their way into a good position to strike at what they really want and what they're really seeking. That is what's at the public forefront of their complaint against Moses. That they think his, uh, his union, his marriage, uh, is wrong, that it's not quite right. But it goes much deeper than that. The true motives come out. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? So their true motive isn't that all to do with making sure that their leader has a godly union with someone. Their motive is to undermine Moses' leadership, to make themselves look better, to follow their own selfish ambition. And that is at the heart of the matter. Their envy of Moses' place as God's chosen leader and prophet to the Israelites and their selfish ambition to be used by God in the same way. See, the the division that Aaron and Miriam could have caused if God hadn't acted in the way that he acted and had Moses not responded in the way that he responded. If Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, well, what we see here is Aaron and Miriam who know that Moses is God's chosen leader of the Israelites, knowing this, but by their actions showing that they actually think that they know better than God that they think what they want in life is better than what God wants. See how easy it was for Miriam and Aaron to mask their true motives behind some other complaint that they hoped would be grounds for their promotion. It's kind of like Dave asking that question of Sam uh, about his donut, offering Sam the donut by the true motive of wanting some of that delicious custard tart. Earthly wisdom is characterized by selfish ambition and by envy. The problem of Aaron and Miriam, this is the same problem that James is writing his letter into, a problem that is around thousands of years ago that is still prevalent today in our lives. That could be here happening in this church, happening in areas of our lives like relationships, like work, like university, sports, any clubs that we're part of. But how do we recognize earthly wisdom in our lives How do we recognize earthly wisdom here at Trinity Grove, at our church? Do our actions denote that of a church that wants to put the interests of others before our own? Or, for example, have you ever gossiped about someone? Maybe just poked a bit of doubt into someone else's mind about someone? I'm pleased to say I don't think this is really something that marks uh, our church in any particularly grand way. But as we grow, as new relationships begin to form, as new relationships Um, change and as we go through different times of life together I wonder is this a trap that we could fall into or a trap of you know hearing of someone's promotion at work hearing of their success when you feel really stuck in the same routine or that day in day out same grind same job how do you feel about that person how do you act towards them how do you speak about them and when someone gets uh, maybe that new car gets that new house get something that you really want but can't get, or can do something that you really wish that you could do, how do you feel and act toward that person? Could you fall into the trap of acting the way Miriam and Aaron did, who were wise in their own eyes, 
who were very obviously not trusting in the Lord, who had chosen Moses, who chose to lean on their own understanding and act in a way that was actually against what God wanted and how he wanted them to live. Selfish ambition and envy, it leads to strife, it leads to discord, to division, to hurt and to destruction. Look at the example of King David and Bathsheba. When David saw that she was beautiful, wanted her for himself, so slept with her and then panicked when she became pregnant. So he orchestrated the death of her husband so that he wouldn't look bad. Envy and selfish ambition can leave hurt and destruction in its wake. And that is why it is of the devil. Because here at Trinity Grove, how the devil would love to see a church that caves in because its people pursue earthly wisdom that says, I want what I want and I'm going to go after what I want. You do whatever you want as long as it doesn't affect me. The constant pursuit of what you want rather than what God wants, rather than what is good for others. Leaning on your own desires and wisdom rather than trusting in God and following, following what he says. Earthly wisdom leads to a band-aid satisfaction. Band-aid satisfaction is like everyone here, like you know Smith's chips, right? They come in those packets. Have you ever got a packet of Smith chips and you've been really excited about opening that packet? You've been looking forward to it. It's your afternoon snack. You finally come to that packet of chips and you open it up and you've got a big smile on your face and then you look down into it and only like that much of the packet is taken up by chips. Only one third of the packet that's happened to people. It's so annoyed when it happens to me, but that's what band-aid satisfaction is. That, yeah, I'm going to be, this is going to be so good when I get what I want. Then you finally get what you want and you see it. It's just not quite enough. Another example could be a promotion that comes up at work. work. You you slog your guts out to get it. And you're thinking, if I can just make that few extra grand a year, I can can be content, I I can be really glad in the job that I'm doing. I'll have a bit more money that I can give at church. I can buy my kids those few extra presents for their birthday. We can start saving up for that holiday that we really wanted. All really good things to have, all really good things to do. And you get that promotion, you get them. But then a couple of years later, that other promotion comes up and suddenly what you've got, it just isn't quite enough. You just want more. No, surely your family can spend a little bit more time without you at home. Or surely no one at church is going to notice you slipping away, uh, not coming uh, as many Sundays as you used to, not getting involved. Band-aid satisfaction, selfish ambition that leads nowhere except to, to keep just wanting more. It's never enough. The wisdom of the world says that you can and should have what you want and you should have it when you want it. And who cares about anybody else? Whereas heavenly wisdom says completely the opposite. While earthly wisdom is focused on the self, heavenly wisdom is focused on the other. It's centered on God. Earthly wisdom has a great ability to damage. But wisdom that comes from God can only ever do good. It's the second line, heavenly wisdom. Let's go back to that question that James asked in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. If you jump down a bit to verse 17, wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The way that Moses responds to Miriam and and Aaron 
in Numbers chapter 12, I have to be honest with you all, is probably a far cry from the way that I would have responded in that situation. Um, if, if I was Moses, I could have retaliated by saying something like this. By being like, oh yeah, I'm, I make bad life decisions, do I? Not like when I, I went, I walked up a mountain, I walked up a mountain in sandals. I walked up a mountain so that God could give me these commands, right? That I wrote into a tablet that I could come back down, walk down the mountain in sandals to give to you, to show you how to live. How to live for God so I could help you. Yeah, and, and remember what you were doing while I was there, while I was doing that up the mountain? Um, you were building a calf, weren't you? It was a calf that was made out of, out of gold. Yeah, yeah, you took everyone's gold, didn't you? And, and, and you made that calf. You kind of burnt it all down, built this calf. And, and you started bowing down to it and worshipping and praising a golden calf. Did, did the calf like it? Did you guys, you had a pretty good conversation? No? Oh, because it wasn't real. But no, 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 sure, you lead the Israelites. Here's the leadership stick. You, no, you take it. You go off. You'll do a great job. You lead the Israelites. you do a fantastic job. Moses, he doesn't respond quite that way. He acts out of wisdom that God had given him. He doesn't choose to retaliate in anger toward Aaron to bring up Aaron's mistakes, which he easily could have done. He doesn't act out of his own selfish ambition to be recognized as God's chosen leader of the Israelites. It says in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Moses showed his wisdom in his actions, his practical wisdom, that when it came time for rubber to hit the road on godly living, he got this part right. Remember what Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Moses didn't respond in anger. He didn't respond in spite or to cut Aaron and Miriam down when he easily could have done so. He responded with true wisdom, heavenly wisdom, trusting in God and following him in everything that he did. What does James say in chapter 3? He was wise and understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. See, where selfish ambition and envy characterize earthly wisdom, humility characterizes heavenly wisdom, wisdom that comes from God. Humility that Moses shows as he leans on God, on God's understanding of his actions, as he relies on God's ability to discern the heart behind his actions, as he cares more about what God thinks of him and thinks of how he acts than Miriam and Aaron. That is what shapes how he responds. He shows a humility that is born out of wisdom, shows a practical wisdom. For Moses, his wisdom is shown where rather than acting in a way that brings about disaster and enmity, he chooses to act out of a desire for peace. So we come to to verse 17 in James. Heavenly wisdom is pure, which means it's blameless. It's peace-loving, which is the opposite of what selfish ambition brings about. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's like Moses at the end of the chapter crying out to God to have mercy on Miriam when she'd turned against him. It's impartial and and it's uh, it's sincere. See, there is no room for self-centeredness in heavenly wisdom. Or to use Mike's phrase, this wisdom is other person-centered. 
marked with humility that becomes apparent through your actions. James puts it this way, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I take that to mean that those who seek to pursue wisdom from God, that is to seek to put God and what he wants above themselves, they seek peace above personal profit and act in a way that brings about peace, not selfish gain, so that those who live this way may live in a way that is right before God, in a way that is pleasing to him and in a way that will pave the way for others to live in this way also. So how we know that we are a people characterised by heavenly wisdom, that we are a church characterised by this wisdom? There are three things I think we can learn and take away from this passage about being a church, about being a people and individuals who pursue heavenly wisdom. The first one is that as wisdom comes from God, Ask God for wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5 tells us this. It says that if you lack wisdom, you should ask God for it. But it comes with that warning to not be double-minded. That is to not want both God and the world and what the world has to offer. Because there's no way that you can have both of those things. Aaron and Miriam wanted both. They wanted their ambition to be recognized and for God to speak to them and act toward them in the way he did Moses. But they didn't care about what God thought about it or what God's plans were and how he had already acted through Moses. So the wisdom that the world offers will always stand against what is godly wisdom. The place where we see this the most is in the person of Jesus, is at the cross of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, I think it can pop up on the screen, Yep, says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is God saying, you can't save yourself. I can, I have. Trust in me. Trust in the greatest example of what true humility looks like. It was Jesus dying on the cross for us doing something that was considered foolish by the world. Jesus, who gave up everything for us, who showed the ultimate act of humility, shows us what it looks like to live this way before God, to be truly wise. Jesus, who was the peacemaker, came to bring peace to a world in chaos at his own expense, at the expense of his own life. And if you're here today, if you haven't thought about what Jesus on the cross might mean for you, well, please don't leave that question just sitting there in this room, but actually seek out an answer. Talk to your friend here or to Mike or to myself or come along to one of the courses that we run that helps you to investigate who Jesus is because that's where the contention lies at the cross. Is it foolishness? Is it wisdom? Because if you want to pursue true wisdom actually need to know Jesus first and meet Jesus first because he is ultimately how God shows us his wisdom. So ask God for wisdom as wisdom comes from God. Point two, be a peacemaker, not a peace faker. Yes, I said it. A peacemaker, not a peace faker. So when confronted with conflict, 
Don't pretend that it's been sorted out when really you've just been ignoring sorting out that conflict because, you know, you don't want the awkwardness of it. You don't want the pain of having to talk to this person about that conflict. But then when you think of that person, you have harsh thoughts about them. Then it manifests itself in harsh words about them when you speak to others. Don't pretend to be a peacemaker. Actually do it. Aaron and Miriam pretended to want peace. They were envious of Moses, but disguised that with another problem they thought would make Moses look bad so they could get what they wanted. See, we were in this this same position and we were in rebellion against God. But Jesus came and died for us to fix this problem. Came so that we could have peace with God. Uh, On the screen... John chapter 16, verse 33 should pop up. When Jesus was talking to his disciples about who he is, what he was going to do, Jesus has this to say, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peace is found in knowing Jesus, in trusting in Jesus. He shows us the way to be the peacemaker, to sow in peace. The point three, the last one, recognize the burden that heavenly wisdom actually takes from your shoulders. In a world that says you must have this, you must have that, and it's on you to make it happen, it's on you to get what you need and what you want, we have a God who says, no, I'm what you need, and I have given myself to you so that you never need to rely on yourself. You trust in me, you lean on me, that is wisdom. See the burden that that takes from your shoulders. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker, the ultimate example of wisdom, the one who's made us right with God, who deals with our sin, the one who calls us to put our trust in him. He takes the burden from our shoulders. I'm going to end with that question in how you live your life. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love for us shown through your son, Jesus. That even though we turned and rebelled against you, you sent your son to die on the cross for our sin. Lord, help us to pursue wisdom that is from you, to trust in you above all else and to seek you first and foremost. Help us not to lean on our own understanding, our own desires, but to want what you want, Lord, and to live a life that is pleasing to you and that is in pursuit of true wisdom. Amen.